yesterday, uh, we had uh, some, some, well, uh, we invited our, the deacons and the elders over to our house to have dinner and just to fellowship and have fun and hang out. And uh, it was so much fun. I actually have a video I want to show. I'm kidding. I want to give uh, Kenneth a heart attack. Um, you can ask him what that video might have been. <laughs> I'll tell a different story on that one uh, uh, than that one. So uh, Crockett, one of the things he likes to do, he's uh, a bit of an entertainer. He's five and he loves to entertain, especially when he has everybody's attention. Uh, his way of entertaining last night was going up to Alexa, which I, I hate that he knows how to use, um, and turning on the song, Who Let the Dogs Out? And then proceeding to dance for everybody as often as possible and cranking that volume as high as it would go and just do this. And so we'd be having conversations and talking and we're just, you know, here and all of a sudden here, who let it, it's going. And I'm like, there, here we go again. This is great. I ended up standing next to Alexa. You just couldn't like, it's one of the things, his dancing, it's, I mean, it's, it's something you need to see. Not, everybody needs it. You can't look away. It's, uh, it, it's, it's disturbing. I think he, yeah, we'll leave it there. You couldn't stop. You couldn't look away. You couldn't continue conversation because here's Crockett dancing to Who Let the Dogs Out. It was so distracting. And what's funny is what this reminded me of is what the false teachers of the New Testament do, right? This is what they do. They loudly distract you from what God would have you be paying attention to, right? God's saying, look at this. Look at me. Study my word. Watch out for each other. And then you have someone else over here saying, no, look at this. Either to be angry at it or to fall in love with it or to make it your new God. False teachers, what they do is they take your eyes off of what God would have you looking at and try to get you to focus on something completely else. You will be drawn into sin and away from God. When your eyes are off of God and the things he wants you to be looking at. And we're going to study this today. Turn with me to Acts chapter 13. And we're going to start in verse 1. I'm honestly not sure whatsoever where we're going to end today. Because I have more prepared than I know I can cover. So we're just going to begin with Acts chapter 13 verse 1. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1. And we'll, we'll see where we get to. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers... Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So God had blessed the church in Antioch. Now remember, this is, this is the church we called it, the church full of the black sheep, right? The ones that weren't supposed to be there, the ones that weren't supposed to be a part of the church. They were the Gentiles, right? This church in Antioch is, man, they're doing incredible. God is bringing people in and he is blessing them with great leaders and he's giving them gifted members. Just as he is blessed Clinging Ridge with incredible leaders and members. You see, the church was never meant to rely on a single individual. Amen? That has been something that was a bad habit for churches for a very long time to say, we'll have one person that can do it all. And guess what God has never done? Equipped one person with every gift. It has never in the history of the church ever happened. What has God said? We're a body. And each body has a function, a role, that an important gift, an important ability. And one person cannot do it all. That's why we do this together. What a list of people too, right? Barnabas listed first. He's called the son of encouragement. The very first one to believe in Saul when he comes back, this changed man, he takes him out and he's like, hey, me and you, we're going to work together. You have Simeon called Niger. Niger, 
It's a Latin, mean, uh, a Latin word for, for black or for dark-skinned. What this means is that this gives us a beautiful picture here. The church in Antioch is already very uh, 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 diverse, right? That God is saving all kinds of people. Not only is he saving them, they are doing life together without distinction. What's beautiful is what connects Simeon the Niger to the people of the church is so much greater than what could possibly divide him. Because he is a brother through Jesus Christ. That identity is stronger than anything else. And you see here again, this is a call for the church to be a church that is in pursuit of all people. Not just those that look and act and talk like us. Amen. We see Lucius of Cyrene. So this is located in northern Africa. It's a Roman colony where there's many Jewish people there. And he's somebody that comes in as part of the leadership of this church. Manan, this lifelong friend, it literally means that he was probably a raised with or maybe a foster brother to Herod. And then the last of the list is Saul himself. The end of this list is Saul, the apostle to the Gentiles, the least likely to be in this position. Now, of all the people I listed, again, none of them are people that, that we necessarily would have looked for and thought this was what's going to happen, right? Because up until this point, it's kind of, I mean, you think of this time, the Pharisees all looked and acted and believed the same way. They're all the same. And then suddenly here's a very diverse, beautiful group leading the church in Antioch. But the one that least belongs on this list is Saul. The one with the greatest sin, the greatest past He was the murderer of Christians, imprisoning families, dragging people away to have them imprisoned and then probably killed for their faith in Christ. And here he is leading the church in Antioch. It says, while they are worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. All right. I want us to to really focus on those first Four words, while they were worshiping. Do you want to see God move in powerful ways in your life and in our church? Then worship him. Why do we sit and pout and cross our arms because things aren't the way we like? Basically telling God, I'll worship you when you do what I want. What we're saying is, God, you're only worth my worship when things are going the way I want them to. Do you think that's a proper attitude towards God? Because I don't. God is worth our worship regardless of the circumstance we find ourselves in. God is worth our worship regardless of whether our preferences are being met. God is worth our worship, regardless of who is sitting next to us, around us, or who took our seat. If we want to see God do something amazing, like we're about to see, if we want to see God sending missionaries and sending pastors out and doing things inside of our community and our world and building the church up, not just the Clinging Ridge, but all churches, building his church, then we need to be spending our time focusing on him and worshiping him. So while they're worshiping and fasting. Fasting is a normal, regular spiritual discipline in the Bible. But we don't see its practice much today, do we? And I think it's because 
our idol of comfort demands that we eat, right? Anybody ever been hungry? Anybody hungry right now? Should we start talking about food? We have an idol called comfort that says, if you're hungry, you should eat because you should never feel hungry. But fasting is a a spiritual discipline, a practice in the Bible. And it should be a regular practice in our life. Our physical hunger should drive us to feed ourselves spiritually by studying the word, praying and singing worship to God. You see why why fasting was such a big deal is because hunger is not something you forget quickly, right? It's a pretty constant reminder when you're hungry, you stay hungry, right? So if you say, I'm going to set this time aside to fast, every moment you feel hungry, you should be reminded, I'm going to chase after being fed by Christ. So while they're, while they're worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul. So the Holy Spirit, so I want us to make sure we understand this. It's very easy to read the Bible and you're reading about different people, right? If you read the Old Testament, you see the patriarchs, you see Abraham and Isaac, you see Jacob, you see uh, Moses, you see Noah, you see all these characters here. We get to read about Peter. We get to read about Saul who becomes Paul in this very passage. We get to read about uh, James. We get to read about all, I mean, man, all of these incredible characters, people that existed that were real, that did amazing things. But we need to make sure we understand something. When we read the Bible, none of these people are the main characters of the story. God is. It is God who calls, equips, and moves in his power. And one thing that needs to help us see for ourselves is while these people, like in this story, Saul's not the main character. God's the main character of the story. We get to focus on what God is doing through Saul, but he is, it is God that's the main character. And I am not the main character in God's work at Klingon Ridge. God is. You are not the main character in the story of what God is doing at Klingon Ridge. God is. We get to participate in his story and his work with obedience. Just doing what he asks us to do. The Holy Spirit said, set apart. That word means to set aside a person for a particular task or function. The Holy Spirit will call and equip believers to lead and teach in the church. Pastors and missionaries report to God, not man, and will give an account for every decision they make in the world and, uh, in the, and every word that they speak. Dr. Jay McCluskey, he's a pastor at North Cleveland, he, he says this, and I love it. Being called into ministry is being called to work for God himself, and then you get to go and partner with a church that he lets you be at for a time. But your job is to, you're called to work for God. So set apart for me for the work. Ministry is a lot of work. A pastor must be devoted to studying the word for hours each week to prepare for a message that is faithful and purposeful. And if you are slow like me, it takes many hours. He must correct bad teachings, doctrines, and behaviors in the church, which is always uncomfortable and difficult. He must spend time around the church so they can know him, and he must spend time with those not in the church so that he can do the work of the evangelists. All of these are commands in Scripture for what a pastor must do and be. So the Holy Spirit says, hey, you're going to set apart Barnabas and Saul for work 
in ministry to which I have called them. A pastor's job cannot be defined apart from what the Spirit says it is in Scripture. Although we love adding to and taking away from Scripture to make pastors and churches be what we want instead of what God designed, we're not allowed to do this. We love saying, I want this to be what's real instead of what the Word says is true. But we have got to stop listening to false teachings and start studying the Word of God to see what God has called our church to be. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So after hearing for the Spirit, they fasted and prayed more. Church, we've got to develop this discipline of saying, I'm going to regularly fast so that my physical hunger will drive, drive me to feed myself spiritually, drive me to pray to God, drive me to be uh, in the presence of, the whole, of God himself, to drive, me, drive me to pursue nearness to him. If you don't have a habit of fasting, I just want to ask you to take some time this week and pray about when that should be. So they laid hands on them. And sent them off. This is a common method for commissioning someone to ministry in the Bible. You'd pray over them by putting your hand on them and just uh, praying for what God's going to do. We don't see a big fight over who's going to, uh, you know, Saul and Barnabas or who else wasn't sent or who is sent. We don't see this big, uh, you know, big discussion and, and, and debate over it. When the Holy Spirit speaks, what are we to do? Obey. In praying, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. This is the way to leave a church. When God calls you to another city or simply to be a part of his work in a different church, you should be sent out. Because that's a celebration of God's work in the world. Is God working through other churches in Cleveland, Tennessee? Yes. Should we be jealous and angry and bitter about it? No. We should praise Christ for what he's doing across our community and across the world. And sometimes God is going to call people to those places and they should be sent in a beautiful way saying, we're sending to be a part of this. But this this can only happen if you leave without sin. Let's read verses, starting verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. So they were sent by the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, they just said that the, the, uh, these other leaders of the church in Antioch, they put their hands on them, they prayed for them, and they sent them. But the Holy Spirit's making sure that we understand this. Nobody is sent by man. They are sent by the Holy Spirit. Men don't send people out for God's work. God does it. Those called for... Uh, those called to work for God at a particular congregation or a church, they are sent by God. They went and they proclaimed the word. This is the most vital work of any pastor, to preach the word. In fact, that's the one thing that is called that is absolutely non-negotiable inside of the biblical job description is to study, pray, and preach the word of God as it is. Says to be faithful to what scripture says. Because practically everything else can be done by anyone else. But the word must be preached by, to the church. 
They preached it in the synagogues. So he was primarily preaching in uh, synagogues at this point inside of this ministry. And this is to remind us that even if the Gentiles were his main focus, they're the ones he was truly called to go after. The gospel is for everyone. And we cannot let that ever leave our minds. Because sometimes we get in our heads, oh, this is the person that I'm really praying for about how I'm going to share the gospel. I'm, I'm going to try to be a good example. I'm, I'm going to do this. But God has you around lots of other people on a regular basis, and they need the gospel just as much. We must be walking in our community with the gospel on our lips. It says that John, this is John Mark, is here assisting. John Mark uh, tags along and helps Saul and Barnabas. We'll see later that this does not last very long. We'll, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, I think. Next it says, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came to a certain, upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So magician, this is one who practices magic uh, and witchcraft. So some believe, whenever you read this, you'll, you'll read some commentaries and stuff that say this is just a charlatan, somebody who's just doing magic tricks, right? They're tricking people into believing something. They're um, doing, uh, deceiving people into thinking they have magic when really they're just doing stuff. Others take this a little more literally and believe this is demonic power that truly ensnares and confuses people. I, I typically lean towards the latter because I, anytime you can read the Bible literally, that, that's what you should do. Um, if it can be taken literally, you should take it literally. Uh, the times that you should take it as figurative is only if the, the literal transla- translation does not make sense or doesn't fit with the rest of Scripture. So this man was doing some type of stuff that confused and uh, deceived people and it made them absolutely not believe in God. And they thought that this man was something great. He was a false prophet. That word means one who claims to be a prophet and is not, and thus proclaims what is false. There is no greater warning in the entire New Testament than against false prophets and false teachers. They're called wolves who come in to devour the sheep. One of the main roles for elders inside of the Bible is to protect the church from wolves. Anybody think that the wolves went extinct for uh, the spiritual church? I don't think so. These wolves distort the word to say what they want, to get what they want out of people. They are their own God and they destroy the faith of others. You want to know one way you can know if you're around somebody that's a wolf, a false prophet, a false teacher? If they constantly point you towards things God would not have you be looking at. If they make your eyes so focused on things that are less than Christ, they're probably not very good for you. And they're probably hurting you a lot. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So this magician, this false prophet, he was hanging out with the proconsul. This is a, an official ruling over a province traditionally under the control of the Roman Senate. So this guy, he, he's very important. He's a man of intelligence. I don't think I've ever been accused of that. Um, he's very smart. He's good at what he does. And this guy summons Barnabas and Saul. So this high-ranking official calls Saul and Barnabas to meet with him because God wants to accomplish the miraculous, Right? This proconsul, was he somebody that you think Paul and Barnabas would have thought, hey, let's go meet with him. He's going to accept Christ. Absolutely not. 
This is a high-ranking Roman official who I'm sure would have been, uh, on, on uh, earthly terms, they would have thought, he's not going to be interested in what we have to say. He, he doesn't want to meet with us. He doesn't want to talk with us. But God can do anything. And he doesn't call us to accomplish the impossible. He does that. He calls us to be obedient. He calls them there because he sought to hear the word of God. This important, intelligent man wanted to hear the word because he knew that no amount of power, influence, intelligence, or wealth could restore what was truly broken in him. Because what was broken in him was sin, right? This pro no matter what he had, the wealth he had, the influence he had, the power he had, it couldn't fix his problem with sin. It couldn't fix his separation from God. And so he knew he needed Jesus. So he asked Barnabas and Paul, come and tell me about this person, this man, this God that will forgive sins because I need that. But Elymas the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So Elymas, this is the other name for Bar-Jesus. It's not another person. He's also called Elymas. He opposed them. That means to resist by actively opposing pressure or power. He was actively fighting against the words of Saul and Barnabas. He had influence and power because of his relationship to this proconsul. He didn't care about uh, this man's faith. He didn't care about this man's well-being. He didn't care about his eternal security in Christ. He cared about himself and getting what he wanted. So this magician, he's, he doesn't care at all about this proconsul. What he wants is his own position, his own power, his own influence. So he's actively fighting this, the, uh, Paul and Barnabas as they're trying to share the gospel, seeking to turn him away. All false teachers will draw you away from your faith. So again, a question to ask when you want to know what someone's influence is in your life. By being around that person, are you more like Christ or less? By being around that person, are you more in love with Jesus or less? By being around that person, are you, do you have a greater desire to study your word, to pray, to fast, and to act like Christ? Or when you're around that person, do you do that less and less? This is why the flock of Jesus Christ needs under shepherds because wolves are everywhere and they desire to destroy. I want you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. So we read inside of this passage that the Spirit called to have Barnabas and Saul set apart to do a work. There are some callings that the Spirit gives that are vocational ministry or missionaries that go away for that being their, their career, but the Spirit has called everyone to something. He's called no one to nothing. What has the Spirit called you to be doing? Are you being obedient in it? And will you pray that through your simple, maybe even radical obedience, that God would accomplish the miraculous? 
Second of all, I want to ask this. Do you know the word? Do you spend time studying God's word? Because if you don't, you're going to be easily deceived by false teachers. Second of all, you could easily be a false teacher. Because if you don't know the word, you're going to teach what's in your fleshly heart. And it is deceitful above all things. Last one asked this, just as this man is just seeking the knowledge of Christ, seeking to know who he is. If you're here seeking today, searching for meaning, searching for purpose, or maybe you, like him, found yourself broken in ways that money and stuff can't fix. Will you please place your faith in Jesus Christ who forgives sin and makes us whole? Because it is only Christ who can do this. Jesus, we pray this today that you would just guide us to you. Lord, help us to be people who study your word, who submit to it, who surrender to it. Help us to stop thinking that our opinions or our thoughts or our ways are as high as yours. And let us surrender to you each day. Christ, help our eyes to be continually set on great things, on you, on worshiping you, on your word. Help our, our focus to be on prayer and on acting the way you've called us to act. Christ, I pray for how you have called each person in this room to be doing something that you would make that clear and give them the conviction to act on it in obedience, praying that you would accomplish the miraculous in our church and in our community. And Lord, if there's anybody in here who is here searching, needing something, knowing their brokenness, but not understanding how they can be made well, Lord, that you would show them that you are the one that does this. You will take every one of their sins on yourself on the cross and you will pay the price for it there. And you'll give all of your goodness in the most amazing gift that has ever been given. Christ, draw them to you. In your name I pray, amen. Please stand, respond however God leads you.